What's going on, guys? Hope you all are doing well. This is episode number 34 of the Run Free Podcast. It's going to be a fun one. What I thought I'd do on this one, and I'll see about this for future episodes too, so uh, keep this in mind, is I have been pulling some questions that I've been getting on our athlete intake forum, which I mentioned on the last podcast. And uh, if you guys, anyone out there, you guys have questions, best way to get those questions to me or things you want me to talk about on the podcast or address, um, best way to get those to me is DM me. Um, I'm at RyanHall3 on Instagram. That's pretty much the only social thing I actually check from time to time. So uh, shoot me a message on there if there's stuff that you want me to hit on. Uh, Next go around, I'm going to talk about getting your kids into running because that's a question I've gotten kind of repeatedly and I thought it'd be really fun to just kind of talk about like so you got little kids and you think maybe they want to run or you want to get them into running or introduce them to it like what's a healthy approach to do that so that's what we're going to talk about next time around on episode 35 but on this episode I took three different kind of questions um, that I've gotten and we're going to go through those so that's how to be confident how to get through miles 18 through 23 of a marathon, and then how to visualize. So we're gonna run through these three topics. Hope it's helpful for you guys. Hope you guys are all doing well, um, staying healthy, getting lots of sleep, your training's on point. I'll tell you what, guys, it's been really interesting. I, you know, I did that one a couple podcasts ago, I don't remember which one it was, where I was talking about how like, I was really feeling like something good is gonna come from this and how there's always like light at the end of the tunnel and how um, you have to die before you, enter into new life and I really felt like I was sensing new life is coming to us in this season as we uh, start to get down the backside of the coronavirus. Anyways, it's been really interesting because I've never had so many athletes hit personal bests as in the last month. Like repeat, like all across the board, um, just tons of personal bests and not just my athletes. I know other athletes um, that our coaches are working with are also hitting personal bests. So I feel like, I don't know, like this, this kind of tricky season that we're in is, uh, is bringing some breakthrough in people. And I'm really excited about that. And I think, you know, I, I don't know all the reasons for why that might be. I think some of it might be we have more time to take care of ourselves. We're getting more sleep. We're eating better. We have more time to train. We have less stressors in some ways. In some ways, you could have more stress. Depends how you look at this whole situation, which we've talked about previously. But I'm really excited. I think you know a lot of good is going to come from this. That's one of you know my biggest things I love about my personal faith is you know God the Redeemer, and He is amazing at redeeming really bad situations. So I'm really excited and keeping my eyes expectantly looking towards what he's going to redeem this situation, how he's going to turn this all into good. And not to, you know, um, play down the, the tragedy and the loss of life. And, um, you know, this is affecting everyone across the board. And obviously that's it's really a difficult time for people. But just have hope. There's, there's good things coming our way. And there's already good things happening with our athletes. And I'm sure you guys as well. And that's something also, too, I wanted to just mention real quick is, you know, as we're kind of still in this time where it's kind of a weird time, there's no races, you know, and it's very easy to kind of feel like you're floating. I've talked a little bit about how you should really use this time to work on your weaknesses. Um, Or if you've been training super hard for a really long time and your body needs a break, this is a great time to take that break to kind of get away from it a little bit. Um, 
But I think what's even more important than that is just having a real sense of purpose during this time. I've talked to a lot of athletes, coaches, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people are really kind of struggling to find that purpose, being like, I don't know, we're just kind of floating around and like doing one workout a week and just like, which is fine if you have a purpose for that, right? Like if, if you know like, okay, like me backing off my training a little bit, it's going to set up a future cycle really well. Or like, it's just really important that you as an athlete you know the purpose of your training during this season. Because if you're excited about the purpose, then you're gonna be excited to train. You're gonna get a lot out of your training. And it also helps to build this like healthy anticipation of being like, man, this season's really gonna set me up well for when things normalize again and I'm back at it. I'm gonna come out with like guns blazing, you know? So just keep that in mind. If you don't know what the purpose of your training is during this kind of coronavirus season, really encourage you guys, if you're our athletes, reach out to your coach and be like, hey, like, so like, how are we using this time? If they haven't explained it to you, really important that you get that and you have a really strong sense of purpose as you're out there training. All right, so let's jump into the first topic, which is how to find confidence. So this is obviously a really tricky one. It's a great question. It's a great um, thing to address. And the first thing for me that came to mind is confidence. It comes from training. And we've talked about this a little bit on this podcast before, but like, for example, for myself, I know within the context of how my training system works for the marathon specifically, I know if my athlete hits a 15-mile threshold at X pace, they can run that pace for the marathon. And so that just gives me as a coach a ton of confidence. And I pass that on to my athletes and be like, listen, like if you can hit this in training in the again, in the context of hard training, and that's where it gets a little bit tricky because a lot of my athletes, they're not yet able to kind of handle the dense load that I typically like to train with. And so I have to space out workouts a little bit more. So then, you know, the 15 mile threshold becomes a little bit less of a predictor. And not always, sometimes you can space it out and that 15 mile threshold can still tell you like I'm ready to run this pace for a marathon, but it's extremely effective um, in predicting times when you're training densely in kind of my training philosophy for the marathon. It's really cool actually, one of my athletes, Mo, shout out to Mo, he, uh, he was trying to get an Olympic trial or Olympic games qualifying time. And he, you know, races kept getting canceled and canceled. He's super fit. We had him doing marathon training forever and it just kept getting pushed back, pushed back. So finally came to a point where we're like, all right, man, we got to just do a time trial here and see where you're at because, you know, races are not coming. And uh, so cool. Hick, he went out and hit a two minute personal best, about two minutes personal best, ran 218 just all by himself out in practice. So, Again, you can get a lot done in this season, you know, like I know time trials, they're not going to tell you exactly how fit you are, but you can still hit personal best if the fitness is there. And I, I use him as an example because I knew from his training, I told him, I was like, dude, I know you can run, I think it's 516 pace. Like I know you can because I've seen you do it over and over and over repeatedly in training for 15 mile thresholds for other workouts I'd given him. I was like, dude, you can do it. And uh, he went out and, and did it. So obviously hitting those thresholds in training gave him the confidence to go out and do something that he'd never done before, even though he's in practice. So I think practice is the primary place where your confidence comes from. I was thinking about this in the context of David and Goliath. I'm sure you guys know this story, right? Like David, I love reading the story because he comes off to me almost as like kind of like borderline cocky, right? Like there seems to be like zero doubt on his end. But I, I love like what he said. He's like, 
I forget who he said it to. If he said this to Goliath or he said it to um, the king of Israel, but to someone he's like, he's like, God trained me with the bear and with the lion. Like, just like I killed those, I'm going to kill this Philistine, right? So it wasn't like he was walking into that. He was walking in that situation, not prepared to go to war. You know, he was, he brought out like cheese and bread to his brothers. That was the whole point of him being there. But he had prepared for that fight without even knowing about it in training. And you can just see from reading the story, like his training really gave him a ton of confidence. And obviously he was confident in other things outside of his training, which I'm gonna talk about in a second. But he had really felt like, hey, I prepared for this. And like, if I can take down a lion, if I can take down a bear with a slingshot, or not a slingshot, whatever it's called, you guys know what I'm talking about. If I can do that, like I can take this guy out as well. So training is where your confidence should primarily come from. So again, if you're you know working with one of our coaches, if you're a run free athlete, make sure that you're checking in with your coach and being like, what times do you think I need to hit to hit this marathon goal that I have? And make sure you're repeatedly working out at that pace, which is why, you know, when we talk about training, we talk about it building bridges, right? So building a bridge from where you're at, where your fitness is at, because no one starts where they want to go, right? Like we all, when I first started my marathon training, when I was running professionally, I couldn't even run one mile at that pace. So I'm building a bridge from where I'm at, which is not even close to my marathon goal. But you do that by working both from your current fitness and then also working at goal pace. Like there needs to be time in training where you're like trying it on and you're being like, this is what my marathon goal pace or my 10K goal pace or my five, like you need to do work at the actual pace. And while you're doing that work, it's really important that you're mindful and you're telling your body like, okay, this is this is the pace we're gonna run for 5K or this is the pace we're gonna run for marathon. Like get used to it and try and relax as much as you possibly can at that pace. It's funny, like I carry these same principles into my weightlifting. So like one of my goals is I wanna be able to bench 405 pounds, which is four plates, which I am far from it. I'm like over hundred pounds away from that. I'm at like 290 right now. So, um, but I put 405 on the bar all the time. And all I do is I just lift it off the bar and just hold it as long as I can. Or I'll do like little tiny mini reps with it. And I'm just like getting my body, my tendons, my ligaments, my muscles, like, hey, get used to this. Like, this is what it feels like. So really important that in your training, you're operating at times at that goal pace. Otherwise, it's gonna be very difficult to magically do it in a race when you've never touched it in training. So training is the primary place that confidence comes from. Another place confidence comes from is training with people who've done it before, training partners. This one was super, like I wouldn't have run professionally if it wasn't for my time at Stanford and my fourth year at Stanford working out with Ian Dobson. He's a good friend of mine. We trained together professionally as well. But like I had zero confidence going into my senior year because my my career at Stanford has been very up and down, mainly down. I never even qualified for the NCAA championships, but I was working out with Ian and Ian had like one NCAAs and been running really well, super consistent his whole four years. Or actually, this was his fifth year at Stanford. And so like literally, I remember being in those early races in the 2005 track season where Ian and I had been working out together all season long, all season long, every single workout, and just stare at Ian's back, fall asleep, and we'd trade off leads, we'd help each other out. So then when I got in a race, I felt very like unconfident. I was like, I've never run this fast for 5K before, and now I'm trying to run way faster than I've ever run, and I'm in bigger races than I've been in before. 
And when I was feeling really unconfident, I was telling myself like, listen, if you could train with Ian, you can race with Ian. Like just lock onto his back, just relax, just like training. So anything that helps you kind of shift back into that, like it's just like training mode, it's gonna be super, super helpful. And same thing um, happened years, so we went on to go one, two NCAAs, long story short. And that would have never happened if I didn't have Ian as a training partner. I wasn't gonna win C win NCAAs without having Ian and piggybacking my confidence off of his confidence that he'd already built up himself. So you can kind of piggyback your confidence, steal confidence, whatever you want to call it. But I am super grateful to Ian because had that not happened, you know, wouldn't have won NCs, wouldn't have went professional that year. Things could have looked, my life could have looked completely different. And a lot of that just came back to piggybacking my confidence and training with Ian. So if you are lucky enough to have training partners around you, training groups, I really encourage you, even if like you're say you're doing our run free training, like you can still find creative ways to mix in with those groups. And, and also to like for us as coaches, I'm always more than flexible to be like, all right, like Sarah, for example, is able to train with someone. If I shift the workout a little bit, shift days a little bit, uh, I'm, I'll do that every single time. Cause I always want her with people if possible, you know, most of the time, 90% of the time, or maybe less than that now. Cause Sarah's been mixing with Rachel, which has been cool. Rachel Snyder. Um, but most of the time she's, she is on her own, especially when she's doing marathon training, but I always love it when she can mix in with Rachel cause, um, they work so well together. They push each other and she gets more out of herself in those workouts. And it's just more fun, right? Like working out with people is, is super fun, makes it more enjoyable. And then you're going to run faster as well. So, um, training with people, super, super important. Like I was saying, if you're one of our athletes, we'll, we'll flex, we'll bend, we'll adjust the training so you can mix in with people around you because really important. And then I was, I started to talk about how years later up in Mammoth that happened again for me when I was training with Dina Castor, with Meb Kofleski, I wasn't even really training with Meb too much because he had a different coach. He's on a slightly different program. So just doing like easy runs, but we're out there working out at the same time, maybe doing different workouts, but you know, I'm watching him, I'm seeing what he's doing and I'm, I'm obviously watching Dina and I know exactly what she's doing. because I, you know, was working with Terrence, who was uh, her coach at the time. And so, you know, hey, if this works for Dina, if this works for Meb, like this is gonna work for me too. And then you can also get that same confidence from working with a coach who's either been there before or coached other people who've been there before, like Terrence had done with Dina. Like he helped her set the American record through his training. So, you know, obviously I have tremendous amount of faith, confidence in him. I believe if he tells me I can run a certain time, I think I can run a certain time, you know? So, um, really important that you can piggyback your your confidence off of training partners off of coaches and even off a training system that's produced results in the past and i think this is why you see groups um when they create momentum just go crazy where all of a sudden you know like everyone's rolling everyone's setting american records running super fast in the group and then it draws more and more talented athletes and just kind of creates this like vacuum of success right and it's because people really like get more confident they're like look what this group is producing look what this coach is producing look what um, my teammate just did who i'm training with all the time like if they can do it why can't i do it so you just see it create this like massive momentum which is really cool see it all the time i'm um, in ethiopia and kenya we're training in groups there like those guys are especially like fearless there's like i'm training with kipchoge and he can run this fast like i can at least run you know a minute slower than him or whatever and you just see guys get a tremendous amount of confidence from working out with people all right next one uh, i think also to an element of confidence and this comes 
goes back to the David and Goliath story, is knowing you can find your strength you can find extra strength outside of yourself. So when all of your confidence is not based on you and your ability to find the strength, when you can find something that's outside of you, you're like something to trust outside of yourself. Because sometimes, I know for myself, when I was competing, it's hard to even trust myself. Even if I'd been there before, done it before, it's like, I don't know, like how am I gonna be able to go this deep? How am I gonna be able to hurt this bad again? Like, am I gonna be able to find the strength? And when you can look for a source that is something outside of yourself, and we talked about this in the Managing Pain um, podcast, a big part of managing pain is getting outside of your own suffering, getting outside of your own strength. And so obviously, like for me, it comes from my my faith and being able to find strength from God and, and looking to Him for strength to fill me up. And that, that empowers me. That gives me strength just because I, I mean, because I believe it is giving me strength. So obviously, like there's the mental aspect of it there. But because I'm like looking outside of myself and getting outside of myself, that alone is giving me strength to get through those really tough moments in races that we all go through where you're like, I don't know if I have what it takes. So whatever it is, you got to find a way to get strength from outside of yourself. All right, uh, next one. And oh, I was going to say with David and Goliath, obviously he had a tremendous amount of confidence, not only in his training, that he had done quote unquote training, but also in the God that he was representing. So um, you can get a very good read on that when you read the story. And I encourage you to go back and read the story if you haven't read it recently, or I always get stuff even just out of rereading it. So go back and read it. You can really kind of get a sense of like, where did David's confidence come, came, come from? And I think it really came from his training and from his trust of his strength being outside of himself in God. All right, the next one uh, is just going back to identity, and then we're talking about confidence uh, here still, guys, is remembering who you are. So we always function out of who we believe we are. So to become confident, oftentimes it's good to go back and revisit and remind ourselves, like, who am I in the best, when I think about, like, the best version of me, who is that? And reminding yourself, this is who I am. This best version of me is who I am. And that can just kind of fill you up of like not being worried about being weak and being mentally not capable and all the kind of fears that we all have when we're out there running at times. Like remembering who you are is always going to fill us up with just like a foundational strength that is going to give us through tough moments. Um, lastly, on the confidence front, I was talking about this. Uh, Sarah and I were out hiking down in Sedona the other day. So I was asking her, I was like, how do you find your confidence? And I thought this was really great what she said, which was incremental goals. And I think this is super and super important because I, I struggle with this one a little bit personally because I am like a really big dreamer. So I'm going to throw some like crazy big goal out there, which is good and bad right like it's fun to chase really big goals when you hit really big goals it's like super sweet right like it's a amazing feeling when you hit these lofty big goals but the problem is it doesn't happen very often <laughs> at least it didn't happen very often for myself and i think for most people it doesn't happen very often or it may not happen at all so this is where i think it's really important to go visit incremental goals be like okay i have this like pie in the sky goal that like is this dream goal that's like oh man i love if i if i could hit that olympic trials qualifying time or i could hit whatever the mark is that you really want to hit or the performance you want to hit and then work kind of down from that and be like okay well like what would be a lesser goal and kind of create steps right so we want to create steps 
goals from like where you're at and like easy to attain steps, not like giant leaps and bounds. And like, it's great if you can actually draw this out on paper and be like, okay, to get to this pie in the sky goal, I'm gonna have to hit this goal first, this little attainable goal. Then I got hit this next little attainable goal. And your coach can help you figure out like, if you're confused, like, well, what, what are little attainable goals for me to get to my Boston Marathon qualifier? Your coach can help you be like, okay, this is about what you should take off. And it's very obviously individualized, you know, depends how fast you are. The faster you are, the smaller the improvement curve is going to be. So for me, when I'm running marathons, if I take a minute off my PR, I'm like stoked, right? Like that's a huge improvement. Um, whereas if you're a five hour marathoner, then maybe you can chop 30 minutes off your next marathon. And that's like a really attainable goal. So really important that you individualize it, that you know what a proper step is. And really the only way to know that is for a coach to like look through, see what you've done before and see your workouts and be like, okay, this is an attainable goal. So, um, incremental step goals, really important that we create those and those can lead us to those big pie in the sky goals. And then at the end of the day, I think it's most important to just be okay with not hitting any of those goals. <laughs> it's like, it's really fun when you just look at it as a perspective of like, I'm going to chase these things. And as I hit them, they are going to create confidence in me. And that's, I've certainly experienced that a lot throughout my career where you hit a little step goal and you're just like, okay, I'm making progress. I'm making progress. And like for me in the weight room right now, like I'm trying to get five five pounds on all my lifts, so squat, deadlift, bench press, I'm trying to get five pounds every two months. And I get stoked when I get five pounds. I'm like, whoa, yeah. Whereas like, if I didn't have those little step goals, I could be like, I'm still a hundred pounds off my goal for the bench. Like, how am I ever gonna get there? Like, and then you don't celebrate those little victories. And so, so important that every single little victory you have along the way, you celebrate it, not only because it's gonna lead, that's, that attitude of celebration is gonna lead to a future breakthrough, um, but also because we got to be in the moment, right? Like nothing's promised to us. So there's, we have to celebrate every little breakthrough as if like it was our biggest breakthrough we've ever experienced because those might stop coming completely. Um, for myself and running, there was a time when I wasn't getting any faster anymore, you know? So I'm really glad that my dad really ingrained that in me. Every single little breakthrough, every single um, little improvement, we're going to celebrate that really important we do that and it creates this like thankful heart in us too that allows us to get to future goals all right hope that's helpful on confidence and becoming confident want to hit on and these two will be a little bit shorter um, how to visualize so a lot of people have asked questions about this for me like i like to keep this just super simple um it's funny for me to reflect back on times i might have mentioned this on the podcast forgive me if i mention things over and over again i kind of have a hard time remembering what i've talked about and what i haven't but um i remember when i was in high school what i used to do is i put on my uniform there's like before track meets the night before track meet or even like the week before I put on my uniform i put my spikes and i'd be in my room and i'd just lay down on the ground and i'd be listening to like rocky four or some i don't know some music some inspiring music of the time i'm like really uh yeah rocky rocky's been a big big part of my life <laughs> um, but anyways I lay on the floor and just like visualize myself going through the race and visualize myself like running really strong feeling amazing like everything clicking perfectly I visualize like what the competition is doing and it was like very like kind of I'd say more like kind of formal visualization kind of what you probably picture visualization to be 
But as I went throughout my career, my how I did visualization kind of changed, um, and I stopped doing kind of like the you know on the ground visualizing stuff and there's nothing wrong with that if if you like doing it that way you should try it if it works so you do it for sure but i kind of started doing it in training more and I've, i think i've talked about this a little bit on the podcast but it's really important that for myself when i was training i was picturing myself say i'm training for like the london marathon for example i'm picturing myself racing in the london marathon i'd watch videos of the race of previous years so i could get i'd be like looking at the course different scenery we're gonna run by I'd also be like kind of studying the competition, how they ran a little bit. And I'd picture my, being able to watch it visually really helped me to be able to see it in my mind's eye. And so that's my biggest tip for you guys when it comes to visualization. So I think a lot of people, they have a hard time like picturing themselves running really strong, running really well. And so if you can get on YouTube and like, whoever your favorite runners are like get on there like watching them run and like try to really get a sense of like how strong like you can i don't know about you guys but being a runner i think we can all relate to how it feels when it's really clicking and you're just feeling amazing and you're just floating you know and it's just effortless like i can sense that when i watch other people run now even though i don't run myself that much that much only run once this year um but anyways I can really like feel it through it through them by watching and actually I've read like a thing where this is why people like to watch sports on TV because they'll actually experience the same kind of like those like endorphin rushes and like the same like physiological things that the athletes are feeling inside of them you can feel that when you're watching the sport which is why it's so addicting to watch sports on TV because you're actually experiencing a lot of the same physiological stuff that's happening with these athletes just by watching them do it so I really encourage you watch your favorite athletes um, compete and then in that way you can get that feeling inside of you and try to picture yourself doing it kind of that same way that they're doing. It's kind of the same idea I was talking about with piggybacking your confidence off of other people. You can also piggyback your visualization off of other people by watching them do it first and then picture yourself doing it, like see yourself as almost as if you are them and you're moving how they're moving and you're feeling how they're feeling and things are clicking, how things are clicking for them. That's really, really helpful when it comes to visualization. But my favorite time to visualize now, as I said, is when I'm out, not now, back in the day when I was still running professionally, was out when I was training. So I really encourage you guys, it's nice to be able to multitask um, and not have to set aside an additional 15 minutes that you probably don't have and that probably you wouldn't do it very consistently because it requires extra time like why not do it while you're out training so and then also too it makes your training better when you visualize yourself in your race training running super strong like you're thinking these positive thoughts you're seeing yourself move in a positive way feeling positive sensations and all that's going to help you get a better workout as well so it's not only going to help you for your future race it's going to help you for that workout and hit that really sweet spot in the workout so that's why I'm such a big fan. Visualization, the best time to do it is in hard workouts. And you can also do it on your easy runs as well. It's, it's helpful in easy runs. It's just a little bit easier or more uh, tangible on those really hard workouts because you actually are suffering. And um, having, like I said, having those thoughts is really helpful in um, creating a really positive atmosphere inside of your mind's eye, inside of your mind, inside of your body so that you can have a really effective workout. Another thing you can do visualization um, 
and I actually stole this idea from one of our coaches, Rachel Johnson, is she does like guided meditations for her team. And so she sent me a, a recent guided, uh, more of a guided visualization, not so much meditation, um, visualization. And it was really cool. Um, she just kind of like walked them through it. And we're gonna, I think, start to produce some of this stuff for our run free athletes, some meditations, visualizations to kind of help walk you guys through um, your race. It's really helpful to have someone be like, okay, now like picture yourself on the starting line, like picture how you wanna be feeling, picture the thoughts that you wanna be having in your mind, picture um, the start of the race and getting out the first 100 meters and feeling strong, feeling relaxed, feeling controlled, whatever it is. And just have someone just like verbally walk you through it can be super, super helpful. And you can do this also too with like meditation apps and stuff like that. Um, but like I said, we're gonna be producing some of that stuff. So that can be a really effective aid in visualization. All right, so that's all I got on visualization, guys. Uh, we'll get into this third topic, which is how to get through miles 18 through 23. And this is a tough one. Um, there's so many different factors that come into play. And I want to start with nutrition. You know, we talked about nutrition on the last podcast and how I would do my nutrition in my marathons and how you should play with your nutrition within the marathon. Nutrition meaning carbs and also hydration as well because those are both super, super important. Um, but those become even more important when we hit those later stages of the race. Like I was mentioning in the previous podcast, we got to fuel before we got to fuel and hydrate before we need it, right? Like, so if you're waiting until you get to miles 18, 23, you've waited way too long, and those are gonna be some very difficult miles to get through. But I really think like nutrition is probably the most important component to getting through these miles because this is usually when we just run out of energy, right? So, um, how do we not run out of energy? nutrition hydration and again like i said in the last podcast having a little hit of caffeine i think can be super super helpful when you get to that point but just make sure you try that in training first i don't want anyone blaming that bad race because they're like hey, i tried the caffeine at mile 18 never done it before and my stomach was all messed up i'd stop to go to the bathroom 30 times in the last 5k um so make sure you try it in training first um i was thinking about this with the carb loading and that's something I didn't talk about in the last podcast, but I like to do like a two day carb load for my athletes. So the last two days before the marathon, just spreading it out is a way to avoid kind of weight gain. Like I've said before, you are going to gain a little bit of water weight for sure when you're carb loading because that glucose, it holds on to water within your muscle. So you are going to, so don't even weigh yourself. I've said that before on the podcast, but um, carb loading uh, those previous two days before the marathon is also super, super important in getting through those um, tough miles from 18 to 23. And it reminded me of this like Bible verse. I think it was Elijah. I was trying to find it right before I went on, but I didn't have time. Um, where he was like sleeping under like a tree or something like that. And this angel of God like woke him up and was like, get up and eat. And so he got up, he like ate bread or whatever and like had water and then fell back asleep. And then the angel's like, get up, eat again. And then he like gets up, like eats again, has more water. And so this went on, I think it might've just been two times, but it was like two or three times. And then like Elijah like ran on that strength for, I forget how long it was, but it was like, like a day or something it's like a ridiculous amount of time so i always tell people carb loading this actually comes from the bible um all right so the nutrition piece i don't think i really gave you guys a whole lot of new information there but that i just had to talk about it because that really is i think the number one factor in getting through those miles 18 through 23 
Um, secondly, and this is probably not gonna be a surprise either, it's just the hard training, right? So um, doing those long runs, the long thresholds, that's really what's gonna condition your legs and body to get through those tough miles. So you can run a marathon on not a lot of miles, but I always tell people it just depends on how much you want to suffer in terms of how long your long run is. Like I ran seven marathons in a row off eight mile long run, but I broke my hip and I was running like, you know, hours slower than my personal best in the marathon. So like you can get through a marathon on very minimal training. The question is, what do you want that experience to be like and how fast, how close to your potential do you want to try and be? And the more the top end of that, like if you want to be close to your, your top end potential, you're going to have to train obviously harder and harder and take more and more risk in your training um, and get those long runs long. So, um, you know, when I was training for marathons, I'd run 26 miles in practice, two, three, you know, I'd have a lot of days that were like 24 mile days between the morning run and the afternoon run, but I'd run 26 miles in practice like two or three times. And I know some people, they go even longer than that, get up to like 30 mile runs. And so you got to go there. And that was a big theme. I'm um, kind of later on in my career. I felt like God was speaking to me a lot about like, you got to go there over and over again. Like that's your, if you're trying to do something, you've never done before you've got to introduce that new stimulus to your body to some extent you don't necessarily have to run a marathon but you need you need those long long runs you need those long thresholds it's really important that you recover kind of coming into those and coming out of those and you practice your nutrition in those your hydration otherwise you're going to really suffer in that uh, hard long runs and the hard thresholds and that's the other thing too, guys, um, speaking of long runs is I don't, I don't really prescribe a whole lot of long runs that are just like, go put in the time on your legs. Not to say like, there's not a time and place to do that. Cause I do occasionally do that. Um, but try and make it a lot more relevant to what you're going to be doing in the race. So I always try to, uh, you know, do fartlicks in the back half of it or do a threshold in the back half of it when your legs are already a little bit tired and then you have to run even faster on tired legs. That's a great way to condition yourself for those miles 18 to 23 is like throw in some really high quality hard work in the back half and the second half of your long runs. And then obviously your long thresholds need to get up to, I think, Again, it depends on what your goals are, but anywhere from 12 to 15 miles um, is, is where you, and when I say thresholds, like those are runs where maybe you start your marathon training and you're running a certain pace, but you want to eventually get those to kind of goal marathon pace. All right. Um, and then the last part, oh no, uh, I just want to mention shoes real quick, and then I'll talk about the last part of getting through miles 18 through 23. Shoes is really, really important in getting through those miles. A lot of people, they suffer in those 18 to 23 range because their legs are just beat up like crazy, especially if it's an up and down course, um, especially a course like Boston where you're running downhill for the first half of it. it can really crush your legs, and a lot of saving your legs is again going back to training making sure you're doing those hard long runs and those long thresholds and you're actually doing those on asphalt you're not doing those on dirt i'm a big fan of dirt grass like running on soft surface as much as possible for your easy runs but when it comes to those long runs and those long thresholds you need to callous your legs to the pounding so really important that you're doing those not just on dirt you're actually getting on the asphalt and then making sure that you're, you have a shoe with plenty of cushioning in it um, 
And again, this is like a very individualized thing and a thing where like, what shoe are you used to? But I think uh, having some decent cushioning is really gonna save your legs. And it's a balance, right? Because cushion also, you know, they're getting better at this, creating shoes with plenty of cushion that are also relatively light. Um, but back in the day, if you're in a big old cushion shoe, it's like way heavier, and so you're running way slower. Um, but now they're with the new shoes that are coming out, they're kind of getting this more and more dialed in. So having the proper footwear, making sure you try that tr the footwear in your long runs, in those long thresholds before you're racing them, super, super important, can save your legs. Like that alone can be the difference between you like tanking super hard at mile 20 and you getting through mile 20, no problem, and, and feeling really good late in the marathon. All right, last thing on getting through miles 18 through 23, and last thing I wanna talk about in this podcast today is just the mentality. Um, a big part of getting through 18 through 23 is being present. We talk a lot about this on this podcast, but just bringing yourself back to being like, just get through this mile. Like breaking it up into little bite-sized pieces. Be like, all I gotta do is just run this next mile. And like, you know, not to be corny, but the, the title of my book, Run the Mile You're In, the reason why it's titled my books because a big, big mantra of mine that I got from like Dina and Meb and all these other people too. Like really important. We always just bring ourselves back to just being present in the mile that we're in, not worrying, not getting overwhelmed by how hard the road is ahead of us, but just being fully in the moment that we're in. And then also on the mentality front, not only being present in the moment you're in, but also too, I like to think of it this way. Like there's this kind of like fear and trepidation about hitting the wall, quote unquote, wall at mile 20. And so I like to be the aggressor. I think this is really important. So especially if you've had a history of struggling with getting through miles 18 through 23, it's really important that you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not gonna get hit by the wall. I'm going to hit the wall. <laughs> it's this shift in mentality of like, going from being the prey to being the hunter and being like, I am going to proactively commit at the beginning of this race. Like at whatever point I quote unquote, feel the wall start to come on, I'm going to shift gears. I'm going to surge. I'm going to like put in like literally like a 15 second, not like a mad dash hundred meter sprint, but I'm going to sh consciously quicken my turnover and I'm gonna shift gears and I'm going to pick up the pace as soon as I feel the quote unquote wall coming because I wanna hit the wall in the chin first. It's kind of like creating this like aggression towards this challenge rather than letting this challenge eat you up. And that's a really, I don't know if you guys are following the distinction there, but really, really important that while you guys are out there and while you're going through those tough moments, you're being like, no, 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 I'm not the prey. I'm the hunter and I'm hunting the prey, which is the wall, quote unquote wall. And so I'm going to hit it first. Like if I'm in a boxing match, like I want to start swinging first. I don't want to wait and get hit a bunch of times and then try and figure out a way to start working in some punches, right? Like I want to be the, the first one throwing, throwing punches. So let's have that kind of mentality when it comes to the wall miles 18 through 23, whatever you want to call it, of being like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get aggressive when it starts hurting. And I'm gonna start telling myself like things we talked about in the previous podcast, um, mantras being like, as it gets harder, I get stronger. And like, I love challenges. Like whatever the mantra is that you need to tell yourself, 
but like really commit before the race because you know this hard point is going to come and it comes for everyone right so that's the first thing to realize is realize like this is not abnormal like this challenge of getting through miles 18 through 23 it's it might not look like it's shared across the board when you watch other people or even certain people might talk about is it. like oh it's no big deal or whatever but we are all suffering at some point if you're running hard if you're running your your max potential and you're going after personal best it's gonna hurt at this point so just accept that and be like it's gonna hurt and it's okay but i'm going to commit that no matter what is going through my brain when it starts to hurt i am going to shift gears i'm gonna pick it up and the reason why i like to do this too is not just the mentality of it but also too physically like you might amaze yourself sometimes we just get kind of stuck in this like rut of a pace and we're just like running the same rhythm, same pace, like the whole time. And our body is just like, blah, it's just like bored with it, not feeling good with it. Like it's just looking for you to like change things up a little bit. And this happened, you know, I talked about the 2007 Olympic trials. This kind of happened for me where I was running not that fast and just feeling kind of like blah. And then I shift gears and I'm like, whoa, I feel amazing. So sometimes it takes that shifting gears when we feel kind of blah -y to re wake up. And so you want to kind of like wake yourself up at that point and be like, all right, time to go. And this is a really great thing. If you can time this with your caffeine, take a little hit of caffeine, a little hit of sugar, and then you're like, okay, time to go. And that's, you're going to have the energy on board to do that. You, that caffeine's not only going to help with your energy, it's going to help you with your focus and with your motivation as well. And then you shift gears, you wake everything, your nervous system, you wake it all up and then bam, you're off and running that last stretch from miles 18 to 23 all right i hope that's helpful guys i hope that helps you get through those tough miles and again we all struggle with them it's those are tough miles so th that's the first thing is realizing that it's going to be hard one way or another but the faster you run the quicker you get them done the faster you're done all right guys until next time hope you guys have a great week of training and i'll talk to you guys next week